Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. Well, hello, church. Thank you very much um, for Pastor Court who offered me the opportunity to speak tonight. Um, I'm a talker. Fair warning, just so you know. I'm also a reader. Um, so let me just start with prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful opportunity to share your word and what you placed on my heart with this amazing group of people. Thankfully, there's only two of you, so I'm not nervous. <clears throat> I want to say thank you, Candace. You didn't know it, but that song kind of ties into what I'm talking about tonight, so love it when God's plans come together. A little bit about me. Um, I got saved 2019, so I'm a little bit of a baby slash toddler Christian. I grew up in church, um, the Mormon church to be exact, insert laughs here, but <laughs> thanks, I love an audience that is cooperative. Um, married, two children, lots of bonus children who are my nieces. Um, I have been attending here at Destiny House since 2019, since I got saved, went into somewhat of an isolation period after COVID. Um, the Lord does what he wants. So some of you I have known, some of you I don't. Hopefully after today, you'll just know a little piece of my heart. Um, but I'm gonna start in the beginning and I'm gonna run you all the way through the end. So if you got your running shoes on, we're doing a marathon tonight, we're not sprinting. I have a question to start off. Do you think it was a coincidence or just an accident that the devil tempted Eve instead of Adam? I think it was tactical. I think there's a reason for that. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Who did God put in the garden? The man. In verse 16, God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. After that, in verse 18, it goes on, The Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Was Eve there when God spoke Revelation to Adam about not eating from that tree? Not at all. She actually came afterwards. This is why it's so important to get revelation from God yourself. Was Eve there? What Eve got was secondhand revelation. Adam got the direct revelation. You see, it's very hard for the enemy to steal away a direct revelation from God. Because God spoke it to you. Yeah, I'm not believing that lie because God spoke this to me. You can tell me whatever you want, enemy. God spoke this to me, so I'm not falling for that. When you know that you know that you know it came from God, who can take that away from you? Nobody. But watch what happens here. God tells Adam. Then he creates Eve. Now I'm sure Eve got there and Adam's like, hey, 
welcome. They're walking down the garden, and he's like, hey, look, see that? That's an elephant. See that over there? That's an ostrich. Parrot, rose, pile of doo-doo. That's what they're doing. They're going around having a wonderful, wonderful time. They're walking, they're like, oh, by the way, you see that tree in the middle there? That tree right there? That tree, we don't eat from that one. Don't eat it, don't look at it, don't even touch it. If we do that, we're gonna die. So you stay away from that tree. Adam told her, and how do we know that? Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, but that fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Did you catch that? Did God actually say not to touch it? No. No, he didn't. Who said that? Had to be Adam. So why did the devil target Eve? Because she had secondhand revelation. She just heard it from someone else. Church, it's great that you come here every Sunday and every Wednesday to hear a word from the pastor or one of us teaching. But understand, when you come here and you hear the pastor, you hear him. So you're getting secondhand revelation. You're getting a, a revelation that God spoke to him. Tonight, you're getting a revelation that God spoke to me. God reserves the right to speak to you himself personally. One of my favorite things about church is when afterwards, everything that was said has been what God's been speaking to me all week. Amen. That is how it's supposed to work. God speaks to you directly. You come here to church, and now your revelation is affirmed. And now it's even more difficult for the enemy to steal that away. Not only did God speak about it, but then the pastor or the teacher spoke about it, saying the exact same thing. Now your revelation is affirmed. That's how it's supposed to work. If the first time you're hearing anything from God is on Sunday, there's so much more for you. It can be so much better. And listen, I get it. Sometimes you're going to get a revelation from the pastor or from one of those teaching, but you also need to go back and see it in the Word. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take his word for it. Don't take Aaron's word for it. Don't take Cheryl's word for it. Test it yourself. Get in the Word and test it. Does what I'm hearing and taking in line up with God's Word, does this Word match? Does my spirit recognize that spirit and what's being spoken over me? Not every word is for you. Prophetic words should either be confirmation of something God has already told you, or if you receive it, God should give you confirmation that the word is for you. Also be sure to test the spirit of the people that you're receiving words from. False prophets are running rampant with the rise of Jezebel. There is going to be a rise of false prophets. But there is also a prophetic rise happening. I want to remind you, especially those that are coming back to the faith, that are new to the faith, take every single word you get back to God. God is a God of confirmation. He is not the author of confusion. Don't let anybody speak into your life. Be careful of what you're coming into agreement with. 
Be sure to test the people's fruit and spirit. Know God's word and know he will always confirm what he is saying. The Bible says we need to use discernment. You really need to use discernment for what you're listening to. I want you guys to think about this for a second. When you go out and eat, when you're cooking, husband, before you eat the food, you probably smell it. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't smell good, you're not eating it. There are certain foods you're like, ew, beans for me, ew, I'm not eating that. I'm not taking it in, I'm not digesting that. In our spiritual life, test the spirit, because in these last days, many false prophets will rise, and everyone is gonna be trying to say this sounds good, but that's not true. That sounds good, and it's not good for you. It's very important in these last days to smell your food. Social media, church, and your meetings, the company you keep, by their fruits you're gonna know. Discern the spirit behind the voices in this age, and please don't be deceived. It's not the things that you're getting, it's not the things that you are getting you into trouble and hurting you, it's the things you don't know that are keeping you bound. The Bible says that through knowledge, the just are delivered. That means that what you learn is what will set you free. That you currently don't know because it's outside of your awareness, that's the truth. The truth is what is happening outside of your awareness. And how do you know what you don't know? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us the truth, and he teaches us the truth in all things. Guys, the Bible is so good. It really gives us the answers to life. You just have to learn how to find them. Being in the Word daily is how you do that. And I love you all, so I'm going to say this. Throw your tomatoes that way. It's not just a verse a day. Verse a day and devotions are great. But if you're, if you're not in the Word, if you're not in His Word, that verse a day is not going to sustain you. Do you struggle to hear God's voice? A lot of the times I think we think God's voice is this booming, loud, thunderous thing. But in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12, God's voice is described as a still, small voice. Have you ever been in a new situation and immediately you get this gut feeling and you're like, this is dangerous. Something's not right. Have you ever met someone for the first time and immediately you're like, hmm, something seems off. I probably shouldn't be talking to them. This is the Holy Spirit warning you. We are called to listen to the Holy Spirit, to let him guide us. When you get that gut feeling, leave. Don't ignore it. Done that, been there, ignored it. Come tell you every time, it did not end well. Ask my first husband. Didn't end well. After, he's my second husband. You can ask him, he's cool. We're, we're evenly yoked, so we're good. After we're baptized, we get three thoughts in our minds. Do you realize that? Three. Not just you in there, unless you're me and then you go with seven. But we typically have three. Our own, the enemy, and the Holy Spirit. When you get thoughts like, God's mad at me. Ugh, I'm not worthy. I don't need to pray. I'm not reading the word today. I'm so busy. I gotta take him here, her there. I gotta clean, I gotta cook. I gotta pet my dogs because they're more important than reading the word. 
I don't have to help. I'm not serving others. Sorry, Burma. You're on your own ministry. I shouldn't love others. When you get these thoughts, guys, that's the enemy. They're usually pretty easy to discern because most of the time it goes against God's word. Sometimes what can be confusing, though, is figuring out if it's your thoughts or the Holy Spirit. That's what gets you. You see, we're called over and over again in the Bible to seek God. Draw closer to me and I'll draw closer to you, James 4.8. The scripture says in Matthew 4.4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you're not praying to God, if you're not creating a relationship with him, reading your Bible every day, how on earth are you going to know it's him when he's talking to you? For a person calls you on occasion, you don't know them. It's the same with God. You can't come to him here at Destiny House once or twice a week and be able to have a relationship and know who he is and know he's talking to you. Reading God's word is what builds up the vocabulary for the Holy Spirit. The more you read, the more you understand the Holy Spirit has more to work with within you. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is saying once we get that message from the Holy Spirit, don't be like Rachel and ignore it. This Rachel. Once you get that feeling, once he's talking to you, be obedient and let him guide you. Sometimes it's not going to make sense. But guess what? That's what faith is for. Sometimes it's going to tell you, don't go there. Don't do this. Don't talk to them. You may not understand why. You just have this feeling. But you must be obedient and follow it when it's the Holy Spirit. And you need to know God's word to have that relationship with him to discern when it's his small voice you're hearing. The more you put into your relationship with Christ, the more you're going to get out of it. Coming here once or twice a week isn't enough. The more you're reading your Bible, the more you're praying, the more you're fasting, the more you're listening and are obedient to him, the more you sing worship to him, the more you put him first before other things in your life. And the more you put him first, the more firsthand revelation he's going to give you. Recently, I was spending some time in the presence of the Lord, and he began to speak to my spirit and just continue to reiterate, we are indeed in the great time, in the end times of the great falling away. Second Thessalonians 2.3 reads this, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Understand and recognize the Antichrist comes along with false prophets, the great false prophet. And it's actually due to the falling away that there is a rise of false prophets, false teachings, and false pastors. I mean, think about it seriously. The falling away has to occur within the church because unbelievers can't fall away from something they were never in. In John 15, the Lord talks about how he is the vineyard and we are the branches. So imagine, we're in Ohio, we get storms all the time. So imagine if the storm comes and a main branch begins to weaken. Instead of staying fixated on the Lord, they begin to get fixated on themselves. And slowly, 
the branch comes off. This is exactly what I feel is happening in the church right now. And this is why the falling away is so scary for those that are in the faith but are not studying God's word to give themselves that self-approval from his first-hand revelation. When you take a main branch that has many branches attached to it, that branch begins to fall. It's not just hazarded to itself, but it's also hazardous to everything alongside it. All those small little branches attached to it, along anybody who's walking underneath it, it will fall. It will hurt. It's going to hurt itself. It's going to hurt everything and everyone connected to it. It's going to hurt everything underneath of it that it crashes down onto. In Hosea 4, 6, the Lord warns us and tells us that his people perish for their lack of knowledge. This is why it's so important to get right with the Lord, to know his voice, to hear the word of God, to know the word of God. So you get firsthand revelation, which the enemy can't take away from you. That makes it harder and harder for the enemy to trick you. I think the Lord has revealed to me that we're in the beginning of a spiritual famine. Right now we have access to the word of God, and glory be to God for that, because there will come a time where we don't. We're not going to have access like we do now. I work for a huge techno technology company, and I can say that right now there are groups working to use AI to write a new all-inclusive Bible. It's coming. I want to encourage you guys tonight to be in God's Word every day. Physical Bible recommended so you can receive the true Word of God that hasn't been altered. If you need help getting a physical Bible, please reach out to me. I have a collection. You can also reach out to Pastor Court. I'm sure he'll be helpful with that. Pastor Court's email, as we all know, is Candace at DestinyHouseAG.org. <laughs> Sorry, Candace, I couldn't do this. But seriously, reach out to Pastor Porter, I, and I can promise you we will help you guys get a Bible if you need one. Right now, guys, a lot of churches are giving out spoiled milk to make you feel good rather than the spiritual meat that the church needs so very much, especially in the times that we're in. The Lord is going to send a lot of storms our way. He wants to see what branches are strong enough to stay grafted into the tree, to stay fixated on the Lord. And it may sound silly for me to say, but honestly, I think that's a beautiful thing. Because those who are truly in Christ, as the great falling away happens, we see him shaking out the fake. We see him removing these false prophets. And those of us who are real believers, we're going to begin to rise to our true callings. One of the reasons I think Pastor Court asked me to speak today. The Lord is going to put his people in different areas, environments, and work fields. He's going to be putting his people into positions of power so that we can glorify him in everything that we do. Many of us may see ourselves as fake or hypocrites because we're struggling to overcome a sin. We understand that if you're just allowing in sin, allowing sin in your life, and you're not doing anything about it, so you're just like full compromise in sin, that might be a sign you're not actually born again. 
because for those of us who are true born-again believers, we have a desire to be free from sin. The believer who is struggling with sin in their desires, they're working. They are overcoming. They're praying, Lord, help me with this. And they're getting frustrated with themselves. You know, like Paul the Apostle who wrote in Romans 7, 19, I do all the things I don't want, and the things I want to do, I can't. That is a true believer. They look at that and they say, well, this must be a sign I don't have the Holy Spirit. But think about this. The scripture says in Galatians 5.17 that the spirit fights against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. So if you're one of those doubting, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then what's fighting your flesh? The very fact that you are fighting with sin is proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because otherwise, you wouldn't be fighting sin. You'd be living in it without a care in the world. There is a difference between facts and truth. And sometimes I think the mental health crisis of our time is the fruit of not being able to tell the difference between what's a fact and what's true. Facts are pieces of information that we've gathered from our five senses. Truth, by definition, is what's happening outside of our awareness. What happens is we accept the facts of what we have experienced is truth about life, about who we are, about situations, about others, about the world. And because we accept that as true, when then we then live as if it is so. But facts are not truth. The facts a lot of times are a lie that seems almost right, but it's not. So most of us all just assume Shame on me for assuming, but I'm going to assume most of us, we know the difference between right and wrong. That's not the issue. What we struggle with is identifying what's right from what's almost right. What we struggle is identifying the truth from the facts of what we've experienced that have been real to us, that has been true for us. A lie is still a lie, even if it's almost right. Because lies are unstable, we are unstable. A lie gets its power from the truth. A lie can't be a lie unless it has some aspect of truth. But that's where it gets its power. And the enemy is really good in making the truth seem like a lie, but not such a lie that it's unbelievable, because that we can spot a mile away. But what if it's not as clear as that that's a lie? What if it's something like our experiences or what we felt or what we believed or what someone said to us that was true for us but was that the truth of what was happening outside of our awareness the mental health crisis that we're currently in this time may be the fruit of a generation trying to do things by their own strength without the spirit of truth without the holy spirit and because no one is able to know the truth without the Holy Spirit, because His Spirit is truth, we're struggling mentally. I have struggled mentally. And I find myself, when I'm not in His Word daily, you can ask my husband, it gets bad. When I'm not building my relationship with Jesus, mental health crises take over my life. When you read Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, 
Jesus said that upon the rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Rock is translated to the strength of the soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Right now, the falling away is occurring because people can't see what is the lie versus what is the truth. Why can't people see the difference between the lies and God's truth? Because they're not in the Word. They're not in the Word. Getting in God's Word every day is what gets us that first-hand revelation directly from the Lord that we need. So if you're not filling up on the bread of life every day, you are so missing out. You want to know why you've had an unction to fast? You want to know why the Lord has been calling you deeper in His presence? There has been a intense shift in the spiritual realm. You can see how crazy the world is getting looking outside your window. You cannot imagine how things are in the spiritual world. There is a mass deception headed to the world, and God's elect, we are being tested first. This is why there's been an increase in false ministries, false prophets, false teachers, and it all relates back to Jezebel. Because we know in the last days, she is going to be around, says so in Revelations 2.20. With the prophets of God, we are called to rise up. And so the Lord is allowing these false prophets, these false teachings to say what they're saying, because he's testing his elect. This is why he's been calling you deeper into his presence. If you're not fasting, if you're not praying, if you're not seeking the Lord's face, if you're not reading his word daily, you are going to be deceived in these last days. There's no more sugarcoating it. I mean, look around. In Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect are those that are called and chosen by God. The only way we're going to make it through these end times is our intimacy with the Lord. This is why for God's chosen, you may feel a little off if you don't spend enough time in his presence. Because God gives you free will, you don't want to spend time with him? That's cool. Do what you want. But the peace that surpasses all understanding, that knowledge, that wisdom, that first-hand revelation that's needed to get through these last days, is only found in his presence. It's in fasting. It's in crucifying the flesh. There is going to be a great deception that's about to hit the world. You think it's crazy now? Just wait. We have an urgent message for our churches. As the body, we need to be prepared. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to intercede. There's a reason you can't sleep at night. It's because God is calling the watchmen. He is calling the intercessors. He's telling us to prepare. And if God has called you to be on the front lines of the end times army, it's time to wake up. You belong to God. And I got a surprise for you. Living for God is not a choice. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Probably does. It's from the book of Job. And after reflecting in Job, I think one of the main reasons people reject God or rebel against God is based on how God affects their life. 
People don't want to let go of sin. People don't want to give up possessions. People don't want to give God authority. Excuse after excuse, it always falls on how God affects their life. They either have an issue with one of God's rules, or maybe something God has done or allowed to happen to them in their life. And when I think about this verse, it's Job 1.21, by the way. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. One thing I realized is that what Satan does very well is to convince people that this life is separate of God. You've got your life. Your life belongs to you. You can do whatever you want. YOLO. Only live once, right? People think about God and they say, you know what? It's pretty unfair that I get to live my life, but if I don't worship him, I go to hell. They act like God placed before them a choice to choose him or hell. But you know what? That's not, that's not it at all. That's just how you may see it. The truth is you do not have your own life. The truth is your only identity should be as his creation made in his image. It's not a choice between heaven and hell. I mean, hell shouldn't even be on your minds. God created us for his pleasures. God saved us for his purpose. We are his workmanship. If God gives me something, and if he takes something from me, regardless, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because our purpose is to serve him. Our purpose is to worship him because he is God and he created us. And people have the nerve to say, well, I don't want to do that. As if you have a choice. You don't have a choice. If all of creation was a giant computer, remember I work for a big tech company. If all of creation was one giant computer, when you go against what the programmer designed, guess what? You are a virus. The, the problem is the people who reject God don't think that. They think they have equal right to his creation. They think they have equal right to what God offers. But anything, anything that goes against the original programming, the original structure, the original order, is a virus. People choose freely to be that virus. Because when you reject the order that God has created, You'd rather identify yourself through your money, your possessions, your sexuality, but the only identity that matters is in the Lord, who we are in Christ. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are in a point in time in our walks where if you don't spend your own designated time with Jesus, you're going to feel paranoid. You're going to be anxious, depressed. You're going to feel unworthy. You're not going to feel these things. You are going to feel these things because the enemy is prowling around like an angry lion looking for who he can devour because he knows his time here on earth is short. If you don't spend time with Jesus to feed yourself, filling the bread of life every single day, your spirit is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, giving the enemy easier access to you. Back to the beginning. Remember the Israelites. They wanted to collect manna when they were in the desert, and they wanted to store it and keep it for the next day. And what did they find in the morning? It was wrong. Don't save the bread of life for the next day. Be in God's word every day and feed your spirit.
In order to feed our spirit, we have to tell our fleshly bodies to do things that goes against its very nature. This is work. This is hard work. It requires labor. It will lead to suffering because our fleshly body ultimately does not want to do what we're telling it to do. That's why we have to just tell our flesh to subdue into the spirit so that we can live in the spirit and by the power and grace given to us through God's strength in Jesus, we can crucify our flesh. Deliverance can be the most important understanding for someone who wants to give their life to Christ or has done so. But there is something, some idol, some dependency in their life that is keeping them from a full relationship with God. They're waiting to be delivered, but they have their own concept of what that means. The misconception I think we have about deliverance as a whole is that it's like one moment where you're gonna be going from an addict to never wanting to do it again. You hear about these stories that are real of someone being delivered from like a demon possession, demon to demon gone. And although these miracles are so real, deliverance is much more of an everyday choice. An everyday choice of the Lord than it is one moment and then you never have to battle for him again. It might be an unpopular opinion, but I think our culture places a whole lot of glamour on purpose on the idea of demons and possession and deliverance. It's like everything is about a demon possessing you, this miraculous deliverance. The Lord will certainly do it, but you play a key role in understanding it's a marathon of choices, not a quick once and done. That's what true deliverance is. If you read the scripture in John, for example, it talks about true belief that he who is greater in you than who is in the world. So when you're faced with that temptation, it's known that he can be stronger than your flesh, and you with him within you may have to make a tough decision against your flesh because you do believe that what he has for you is better and alongside his strength, you can overcome the world just like Jesus. It says again in James to submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Deliverance is when the devil flees and God rids you of that temptation. But it first takes your submission and obedience to the Lord, which is an everyday lifelong choice. If you try to do it by your flesh alone, Guaranteed, without doubt, you will fail every time. Have you ever noticed that as soon as you invite the Lord to fight these battles with you, the world, Satan starts putting stumbling blocks in your path? I think it's important to realize these opportunities to stumble can be both a test from the enemy and from the Lord. A test from the enemy, because the enemy can't read our thoughts, so the enemy doesn't know where you're at with your relationship in the Lord, but he can see what you're doing. He can watch you. He can watch your life. And he can make note of where you're stumbling and what you're sitting on. By throwing stumbling blocks in your way, he's waiting to see what makes you slip so that he can continue throwing that at you. You slip by hanging out with the same old crew who does those things that you're trying to be delivered from. You slip by going back into those old habits, worrying, anxiety of your circumstances, and you lose focus on Jesus. 
when the enemy finds something that pulls you away from God, he is going to take that and run with it. Worldly stumbling blocks in your way that are the predicaments that we sometimes stumble in. But conversely, the Lord will test you out of love. He's not here to give you a red F when you fail, and he's not going to give you a gold star when, you're, when you pass. What he's doing with his test is to show you your strength, and your lack of strength lies in your spirituality. Being tempted, being put in a situation where you might stumble, if you do stumble, it helps the Lord show you and further sanctify you to understand where you're at. I mean, for example, maybe you've been delivered from drinking or smoking, watching pornography, and then you have some scenario or temptation that puts you right back in that place. And guess what? You do it again and you fail. God has then shown you where you are not relying on Him. He's showing you that it's the environment you are allowing yourself to be in that puts that temptation of you that you weren't strong enough to fight spiritually against your flesh to combat. It's truly a blessing to have an intimate relationship with the Lord and to receive conviction from the Holy Spirit when you're doing something that goes against God's word or his plan for you. Do you want to start submitting and being obedient to the Lord? Then you need to get into his word. You need to get into his word and you need to read it to understand it, not just read it at face value. When he calls it his living and breathing word, and he talks about bringing the word to the life in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus died and washed you clean so that you can have any chance at heaven at all, then you have to believe his word. You have to know that he brought the life in his word, and he will breathe it by reading his word into you. When you believe and understand, that helps to make reading his word your first priority every single day. It might sound too simple, but we overcomplicate it by trying to glamorize this idea of deliverance, like the sky is going to part and this gold shimmer is going to fall down all over you, but that's not how it works. God wants it to be simple. Getting into the Word will grow your ability to not only know Him, but to know Him. Communing with Him in His Word he will drive his strength through the Holy Spirit so that you can fight those fleshly battles and be delivered from your sin. Sometimes it'll feel like a whole full deliverance for the Holy Spirit is so in tune that you have no one for that sin. But because we are made of flesh in this world, there will come stumbling blocks. Tests from both sides to show you your spiritual strength or to make you stumble. That is when you have to choose who you're following. I wouldn't have been delivered myself if it wasn't for my discipline in his word. The Lord put me through two years of a season of isolation. And if it wasn't for being in his word, I probably wouldn't be here today. You see, deliverance is Jesus' opportunity to rescue you. And not just that rescue you once and you're good but be able to rescue that spirit over flesh rescue you when you're tempted by sin. Deliverance isn't just a moment, it's a way of life. Knowing God's word and having an intimate relationship with him is what allows you to discern and navigate in this world. God gives us discernment of what we see in the world and what God warns us in terms of revelation. 
So here's some food for thought to wrap up of what we may be seeing in the world right now and what we're going to be seeing very soon. In Revelations chapter 6, it talks about the seven seals. The first seal says a voice like thunder. And look, behold, a white horse, its rider had a bow, a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Food for thought, crown, is from the Latin root word corona, just saying. Second seal, come and see another horse, fiery red went out. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Food for thought, a highly powered celebrity recently released an album sitting on a red horse. Do we see a war coming up? A multinational war, perhaps? Third seal, coming a black horse. His rider had a pair of scales in his hand, a voice of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for engineers, three quarts of barley for engineers. Do not harm the oil and wine. Who are the oil and wine? Believers. It's talking about a famine. Have we seen anything spreading throughout that may be harming our agricultural lands or putting the ability to feed our families in the hands of other people? And we don't know what's coming during a multinational war. We hear the government, we're here to help. I'm feeling led through discernment to speak on these things so that you can marinate on them and use your own prayer, spiritual study, and your own discernment. All I'm saying is that these things are happening rapidly. You can see them all around, and they are leading to a time when it will be very easy to say, please help me, government. I need to be able to feed my children. I need somewhere safe to live. And that, my friends, is teetering very closely on the beast system. Revelations uses a lot of symbols. So when they talk about this beast system and putting a mark in your forehead or on your right hand, it may be a little more technologically advanced. It may be symbolic in nature, but to those of us with the Holy Spirit, we will not be deceived. Many will be deceived because they think that it's something to help you. A global technological system that is able to give you money, give you food, take you out of the horrible circumstances that the horsemen have brought to the general population, the Antichrist will be seen as a savior. There is one particular, which well, was pretty lofty on the right and the left when we're talking about American politicians, someone who is known to be very technologically advanced, who has been seen as shedding the truth by owning some social media platforms. Please remember, this all it is. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. He does equip his people with truth through his word so that they may lead their bold armor of the Holy Spirit through the trying times that we're in. Corona, loss of peace, famine, death, begging for help, mark of the beast, the Antichrist seen as a savior, all of these puzzle pieces are being moved into place. It's a jigsaw puzzle. And as believers, we can see it being put together. Now, I'm not giving you my opinion because I'm 
that's just not what I'm doing, but I think the Holy Spirit works through all of us, and he gives us discernment so that we can see the truth, and he feels we need to be best led for our lives here on earth through these worldly circumstances. So I'm going to leave you with an interesting reminder. What I want you to remember is Luke 17.32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. God decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the people were so wicked in their ways. The angels had to take Lot and his family out of there before disaster struck. Lot lingered. The angels had to physically seize him and his family by the hand and lead them outside the city. The angels then said, escape for your life. Do not look back. Do not stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. That's in Genesis 19:17. In spite of the warning, Lot's wife looked back. She looked back as the disaster struck and she became a pillar of salt. Genesis 19:26. Things change. Life has its seasons. The seasons follow one after another, whether you want them to or not. That's the lesson we learn in Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1 If God decides that a particular season in your life is over, it's time to leave it behind and move on to the next. It's time to move forward and do not linger. In Luke 17.32, Jesus told his followers to remember Lot's wife because he wanted them to understand his basic truth. He wanted them to be ready for the season to come and to not get caught in the season left behind. You see the trouble with Lot's wife? She wasn't ready. She wasn't willing. She looked back at the old season. She wanted to hold on to it. She was more concerned with what was being behind her than what was ahead of her. The trouble with looking back is that you risk disaster. The grace of God lies in the next season, not the old one. God doesn't want us to look back. Perhaps you sense the Lord is leading you by the hand in the next season of your life. Perhaps you even sense the Lord is a disaster. The Lord is leading you to a disaster if you fail to follow him. If so, please don't linger and don't look back. Remember Lot's wife and then move forward to what lies ahead. We must repent like we've never before. Time is short. Seek God relentlessly. Hearing his voice is imperative in these times. Repent and get right with the Lord. Have a true relationship with him. This world is not what it was 10 years ago. Heck, it's not even what it was four years ago. There's always been evil. The Lord is trying to get your attention to look at the world right now and see his truth so that you can repent and have a relationship with him before it's too late. We have to repent. And can I just call out, repentance is an action word. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Repentance is not, I'm convicted right now. God, I confess. I did it wrong. Thank you for your forgiveness. And then going home, waking up tomorrow, and do it again. That's not repentance. That's remorse. Feeling sorry for something you've done is remorse. It's guilt. It's not repentance.
repentance is by the grace of God. I know this is a sin, and I'm going to walk in His grace. I'm going to turn around from the sin, and I'm never doing it again. And it's not because what it's going to do to me or how bad it makes me feel, but it's because of what I'm doing to my holy God. Repentance, true repentance, cleanses us from all unrighteousness in our life. Repentance is basically how you're walking in life. Where are your feet pointing right now? Are you pointing towards Jesus or are you pointing towards the world? Are you pointing towards flesh? Are you pointing towards sin? Would you admit that you have lost the love you once had for Christ? Would you be honest and say, I lost the passion I had for Christ and why? Because I'm focused on notoriety. I'm in love with the comfort of my life. I'm in love with my possessions. I'm in love with money, fame, success, finances. Whatever consumes your attention controls your affection. Do not let your activity overshadow your affection for Jesus. Do not let the busyness of life or of serving overshadow the intimacy with him as a person. Don't get into the habit of looking at your Christianity as a duty that you have to fulfill, checking off the boxes on the list, instead of looking at it as your devotion to God for what he's done with you, what he's done for you. Repent and worship. Most important things I've learned in my season of isolation. Be in his word every day. Accept the conviction and repent and worship. And I'll just say, because I'm a science nerd, did you know scientific studies have shown when you raise your hands above your head for two minutes or more, it actually reduces the level of cortisol in your body. Cortisol is a hormone that makes stress. So you put your hands up. God designed us to worship him. Science even in our body shows it. Only one angel got kicked out of heaven, guys, and he was never replaced. He was the one who was over worship. So every time you worship, you're reminding the enemy of the spot he can never get back to. The reason he's coming after you so hard, he's trying to steal your worship because every time you lift your hands, despite how bad you feel, every time you say hallelujah, even when they're hating on you, every time you say, God, you're faithful, even when you don't have any money, even when things are so tough and you're suffering, Every time you do this in worship, you're punching the enemy in the face, so please never stop worshiping. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up. It's time today for the church to not shrink back. In a sense, it's time for the church to finally be a church. So I hope to goodness that you guys can reflect on some of this and come to your own conclusion. And back to the beginning, not every word is for you, but in every word, please take it to the Lord. Because he is our truth. He is the way. And without him, why bother? Thank you very much, Destiny House, for letting me speak today.